0: So I get to do part two of Address the Mess. If you weren't here, New Year's Day, you missed a cracker. Steph was on really good form, so please do catch up. It was uh, the mess in the mirror last week. Catch up on the website. I get to do part two, which is Best Mess Ever. You might want to reserve judgment as to whether it's the best talk ever or the best talk in this series, even. But I get to do Best Mess Ever. And as it's New Year, kind of, sort of, You've got a two-for-one off today. I'm gonna tell you about my two best messes ever. Well, the best two I can tell you about in church anyway. First one is a physical mess. And the second one is a physical, mental, emotional, total train wreck of a mess. But I want to tell you about them because they were my worst messes ever, but also, as I'll explain, my best messes ever. Big messes, but great messes. So the physical one first. When I was 23 years old, so just like 10 years ago or so, when I was 23 years old, I was studying um, sports science at Chester College. I was doing about probably four or five hours a week of sport as part of the curriculum. I was doing maybe another hour or two of racket sports with my mates. I was going running once or twice a week for maybe an hour or so. I was doing pretty intensive jiu-jitsu classes for an hour and a half twice a week, sometimes three times, and uh, I was doing pretty high-intensity bodybuilding for about an hour and a half, four times a week. So, to be fair, I was quite fit at that time. I was, I was pretty fit at that time. But then one day, I started to get a tightness in the chest. And I thought, well, oh, okay, that's not going away. I'm coughing away and wheezing. It's a chest infection. I'll go to the doctor, and, and they'll sort me out. So I went to the doctor, and they gave me one of these puffy-type things that you blow into uh, a peak expiratory flow meter for sports scientists amongst you, or asthmatics amongst you. And uh, he said, well, you've, uh, you've got asthma. And I said, no, I haven't. And he said, well, you have. I said, well, I've never had asthma. He said, well, you have now. So he gave me some uh, you know, inhalers, uh, one of the Ventolin salbutamol inhalers, and uh, off I went home. And it didn't get worse. It, got, it didn't get better. It got worse and worse and worse. Long story short, I ended up in hospital because the the inhalers weren't doing the trick. So I ended up on a drip, intravenous Ventolin or Salbutamol, and a steroid injection, an anti-inflammatory injection in the thigh, which felt like a pencil going right into my thigh. And it felt like it touched the bone. It was really... it, It really hurt Julia, honestly. She's shaking her head like I'm a wuss, but it really hurt me anyway. But that really wasn't the worst of it. I I could barely breathe uh, and uh, the drugs obviously did get me better. But the worst of it was psychologically I was in a right mess because physical training, to be honest, was, you know, I I ate, slept and dreamt it. My ideal world would have been eat, sleep, train, repeat. And I just didn't know if I could ever be able to continue to do that. I remember lying, being unable to sleep in the hospital at night and there were kind of old guys on the ward with me, half a dozen or so. There was no other younger person there. And the guy in the bed next to me in the middle of the night made this horrible, horrible sound. And I'd never heard it before, and I've never heard it since. You may have read about a death rattle. And that's the sound that I heard, and I, I just I hope you never hear that sound. And there was this dreadful, splattering noise on the floor, and I summoned in my breathless state the nurses. They came running, curtains were whipped round his uh, his bed, and shortly thereafter they wheeled him off, and shortly thereafter... They had to whip the curtain around my bed, because I was blubbing away. This was just a terrible, terrible, terrible moment. And we're going to leave me there, blubbing in my hospital bed. I needed something lying there. I needed something. And I knew what it was, but nobody gave it to me. We're going to leave me there. Go on to my next mess. We'll scroll forward 17 years, which takes me to 40. And this was my total mess. I had a job that I really enjoyed. Uh, running a health club, it got closed down. The company decided they didn't want one anymore, so they closed it down. I had to go through a really stressful time of about three months of not telling any of my team of about 70 people about this, or the 3,000 members we had. Had to hold that to myself, and then implement this this redundancy and closure with all these people, and it went really well. I was praying throughout it, and I kind of did a bit of a deal with God, I think, and it went really well. I had a job to go to, That didn't go so well, and a friend of mine was involved in that, and I had this terrible time of divided loyalties. It wasn't going well, I felt I couldn't stay because I felt I was letting him down, but I couldn't leave because I'd be letting him down if I left, so I couldn't say, should I stay, or should I go now, that kind of thing. Couldn't sleep. When I say I couldn't sleep, I could sleep for maybe two, three hours, and this went on not for a few days or weeks, but months and months and months and months, and that leads to something called clinical depression, which is what I got. Eventually, I did leave, and I took another job in health and fitness with a heavy heart, because I knew it wasn't right, but I had to kind of look after my family as best as I could and earn some money, and it just spiralled. I remember I had one day when I was myself, and I thought, oh, this is easy, I can do this, and then the depression came back in. And I can remember thinking again, I can't stay, I can't go, I can't stay, I can't go, sleepless, sleepless, sleepless. In desperation, went to the doctor, which is the right thing to do, by the way, if you have clinical depression, gave me some uh, antidepressants, Funny thing with antidepressants, the right ones are great, but sometimes it takes a while to find the right one. I got the wrong one. I developed a facial twitch. You can imagine, I haven't slept for months properly. I'm driving a big old car to work at some speed, and I'm desperate, absolutely desperate. I wanted a reason, other than depression, other than what I perceived in my stupidity to be weakness, I wanted a reason not to go. And I would have had a physical reason, thank you very much. Not a good place to be when you're driving a car. Finally, 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 uh, we were going on holiday and I I made the decision, worst day of my life really, made the decision I would go and I did go and the next day we went off on, on holiday and I can remember going out for a walk and finally my body had had enough and I can remember going for a walk and slowing down in a field and literally falling to my knees, praying the desperate prayer, please, please, please help me. I had no idea how. I couldn't have figured it out, that's what was going through my mind every night for months and months and months before I got the maybe hour and a so of broken sleep, a couple of hours. We're going to leave me on my knees in the field, okay? We'll come back to why those two messes, those two big messes, turned out to be great messes. But I also want you to know that I know what it's like to be in a mess. So if you're in a mess, I want you to know that I know what it's like to be in a mess, okay? So that's part of the reason for telling you those things. Because we all have messes. I don't know what yours is. It might be a physical mess. It might be a mental mess. It might be an emotional mess, a relational mess. I don't know what. It might be a financial mess. Don't know what yours is. But as Steph said last week, I know a mess when I see one because I've been one. I just have to look at the, the mess in the mirror or the mess that's been in the mirror. And again, as Steph said last week, God doesn't expect us to be perfect. He doesn't. Promises us a, a perfect, trouble-free life. He doesn't, he doesn't expect that at all. In fact, he makes provision for us to be utterly imperfect and to make a mess. And the provision, of course, is called Jesus. A few years ago, you know, I heard a great uh, phrase, engagement is not endorsement. Engagement is not endorsement. It was a, a diplomat from the White House Uh, speaking on uh, TV, he was being interviewed because the White House had been caught talking to terrorists in the Middle East. And he was being put on the spot about this. You can't talk to these people, they're terrorists, in inverted commas. And he came out with this phrase, engagement is not endorsement. And it really stuck with me. And I think that's something that could be said of God as it relates to us. Engagement is not endorsement. God engages with us and wants to engage with us even though he doesn't endorse the messes we make and the sins that we fall into. But I think God goes one further. So I've got another phrase for you. I'm I'm claiming this one as mine own. Atoning is not condoning. Atoning is not condoning. Jesus atones for us, although he does not condone the sin that we fall into, the sin that we commit. The free gift of Jesus' atonement for us is simply there to be accepted And we accept that free gift of atonement by accepting and following him. One of Jesus' closest friends and followers, John, uh, wrote one of the accounts of Jesus' life. We call them the Gospels, written by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John, one of his closest followers, wrote one of the most famous parts of the Bible. It's going to just pop up on the screen now, please, Kim, and we'll read this through. This is the way John puts this gift of atonement and why Jesus came. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they've not believed in the name of God's one and only son. Just pause there a second. Whoever believes in him, that doesn't mean just believes that there was a historical figure called Jesus who was crucified and died. It means believing and following him, believing him, accepting he is God's one and only son and following his teaching and doing our best to be disciples, to be followers of Jesus, and all that means. It doesn't just mean believing there was a man called Jesus. But notice also, whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because they've not believed and followed in the name of God's so one and only they're not condemned, we're not condemned because of our messes, because of our sin, that's covered off that's covered off by Jesus and the atoning power that he displayed on the cross and his resurrection. Any condemnation is through a rejection of ours, a rejection on our part of Jesus. And then John goes on, this is the verdict. Light, by which he means Jesus, light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. And on to the next, please, Kim. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear their deeds will be exposed. We like to keep stuff hidden away, don't we? We don't like people to find out about our stuff, our mess. We like to kind of sweep it under the carpet and keep it to ourselves. Even to ourselves, we don't like to admit sometimes. And I think a lack of self-awareness is a big, big problem in our world. We just don't like to own up to our messes. We don't like them to be brought into the light. But if we accept Jesus, that is to accept that God sees everything and is with us all the time. Sometimes people pray, please God be with us. Well, God is with us. It's just whether we're choosing to accept and believe that. And all that that means when we mess up, we're doing it in the light if we've accepted Jesus. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. In John's account, just after he writes those verses, Jesus goes and gets involved in some messes. He goes and meets a woman, Samaritan woman at a well. She's in a right mess, steeped in sin, and Jesus doesn't condemn her. He's really merciful to her. He speaks truth about her life that astonishes her. But he goes, he he chooses to go and address her mess with her. And then he encounters a government official whose son is dying. And the guy comes to him and asks for help to heal his son. And Jesus sends him away saying, your son is healed. And then a little bit later on, again, he comes across another woman who's been condemned for adultery, she's been caught in adultery, she's about to be stoned. Jesus has been preaching in the temple. The teachers of the law there are seeking to trap him, so they are about to stone this woman with Jesus there. And uh, they put it to Jesus that's the law trying to trap him. And Jesus is just kind of doodling in the dirt and says, Well, okay, I'm paraphrasing, okay. If any of you is without sin, let him be the first one to throw a stone. And they drift away. Because they know, like you know, and I know, that we've all made a mess. We've all sinned. So they drift away. And Jesus looks up and says, Is there no one left to condemn you? Well, then I won't condemn you either. And sends Ron on away. Just after that, Encounter. John continues this way. Can I have the next slide, please, Kim? When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Remember what John was saying earlier about light coming into the world? This is Jesus confirming he is the light of the world. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In the four accounts of Jesus' life, which we call the Gospels, you'll see time and time again, Jesus walking towards people's messes. And time after time, we'll see him say, follow me, follow me, follow me, follow me, follow me. That is the way out of the mess, is to follow Jesus. From the, the fishermen, Peter and Andrew, James and John, that Jesus encounters, he says, follow me. Right through to the Samaritan woman and the sinner on the cross, the thief on the cross next to him, about to die. Follow me. Join me in paradise. Jesus encountered people with all manner of problems. People with problems just like yours, and just like mine. Follow me. Follow me. Follow the light. I am the light of the world, says Jesus. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Our behaviors get us into a right old mess sometimes. Sometimes it's not just our behaviors. Sometimes stuff just happens to us. And our behaviors can contribute to that. They can help us out of that or they can make things worse. But we get ourselves in a right old mess sometimes with our behaviors. God cares less about the behavior than he does about the loving relationship with him. And I put it to you, any loving parent would say the same thing. We can forgive all of the stuff that our kids and grandchildren do and children we're involved with do. We can forgive all of that if the loving relationship, if because of the loving relationship, we can forgive the message. So, of course, God does the same thing. God atones, though he does not condone. Engagement is not endorsement. Jesus lights the way for us to follow, and says, follow me. I want to show you a quick clip in a moment. This is from the TV series, uh, The West Wing, which is a fantastic TV series about um, the president of the United States and a group of his aides um, running the West Wing, the sort of power base of the White House. And the scene we're going to watch, there's two guys, um, Josh and his friend and boss, Leo. Um, Josh is a younger guy, Leo is the older guy. Josh has been through a terrible mess. He's been through a really stressful situation, and he is in a desperate state. He's put his hand through a window. He's in that desperate state. He's worried that the, the, the stress disorder that he's got is going to prevent him from doing the job that he loves. And in desperation, he's smashed his hand through a window. He's, he's claimed he's not done that. He's just broken it by accident on a glass. But his friend, Leo, and his, his assistant, Donna, know a bit better and they want to help him, let's just have a look at this. I think that's a great example of being a friend in need, getting down in the hole and and helping them out. I think it's no coincidence that it mirrors Jesus' famous story of the Good Samaritan. And Jesus taught us to love our neighbor and explain through that story that our neighbor is everybody, and we're to love everybody. When I was in that hospital bed, the thing that I needed was hope. I needed somebody to give me that hope and the blessing in that mess, because Jesus can use a mess to bless, the mess was terrible. But the blessing was I knew then it was like branded on me the importance of hope. It was really clear to me how important hope is. Years and years and years later, a friend of mine was in a really big problem, really big mess, completely different circumstances. But he was desperate. He phoned me from the car I won't go into the detail, but he was desperate. And I said, I just remembered that time in the hospital bed, and I knew what he needed, and I knew I could give it to him. So I said, I promise you, we'll get through this. Not, I think you'll get get through this. I promise you, we'll get through this. I knew it to be true, and it was true. And it turned out to be, eventually, an incredible blessing to him. His circumstances afterwards were better than they had ever been, really. But he needed that hope. He needed somebody to get in that hole with him. My other best mess ever, when I was down on my knees in that field, I'd messed up through my behaviors and refusal to admit that I was stressed and and weak. I messed up. And then I finally gave up. And then I finally looked up. And God showed up. And that was such a blessing to me. If that hadn't happened, I wouldn't be standing here now. I'd probably be, if I was here at all, I might be working in some health club somewhere, but I certainly wouldn't be leading the church and preaching to you about this. Sometimes there's a big, big mess, and God uses it to bless. I messed up. I gave up, I looked up, and God showed up. And I know there's other people here. If you're non-Christian people, that's lovely that you're here, but I know there are other Christian people here who would agree with what I'm saying. So if you're skeptical about this, I bet there's loads of people who would say, yeah, that rings true for me, I messed up. I gave up, I looked up, and God showed up. So my message to, to you if you're just visiting or just exploring is keep coming. Keep asking questions. Keep coming, keep coming, just come and see. We're not trying to make you fall in love with Jesus. We're we're setting up the dates is what we're doing. Sometimes it takes a big mess to arrange the meeting. Let us help you. Keep coming. If you are a Christian, a follower of Jesus, I just remind you, Jesus did say, love your neighbor. If you've been through a real mess, might that be so that you can bless somebody else in the future who finds themselves in a similar kind of a hole, like Leo and Josh there. The Best example I can think of, if I'm, if I'm not allowed to use Jesus, the best example I can think of is Abs Domboya. And EBC people know all about Abs. Disabled in Sierra Leone, helped out of the hole by somebody sponsoring his education and training and into employment. And what did he do? He went back to one of the poorest countries in the world to help people who are disabled. He got in the hole with them and helped them out. So my message to you is be the hope in the hole. We're to be as God's church, Jesus' hands and feet. So perhaps we can be the light that takes people out of the hole. And one day, perhaps, we can lead them to the one and only light of the world, Jesus himself. Let's pray.